Song number 226, Brother Jonathan announced and asked us to mark that. And not only are we happy to do that, but to use spirited singing is an, always a powerful encouragement. It's a blessing to be able to come together on this first day of the week. In Revelation 1, it is in fact expressly called the Lord's Day. And as we often give thought to this distinction of this first day of the week, what a privilege it is to gather for the express purpose of magnifying God's name, to worship Him in truth and in spirit. And as we've done that in prayer and in song, we now have the privilege of spending a few moments reflecting on a portion of the Word of God. Let me encourage you to give thought to that 22nd Psalm this morning. You'll notice I've entitled the lesson, Brought into the Dust of Death. And that was the very wording that presented itself in Psalm 2215. If you would go ahead and revisit that chapter, we'll be making many references to things that are mentioned on that occasion. Here are some introductory thoughts, however, that not only prepare us for those comments, but also set the stage for that chapter in the entirety of the Old Testament. Isn't it a truly interesting thing as you and I continue our journey of reading through the Word of God this year? Some 463 chapters, almost 39% of the totality of the Bible by number of chapters has been read. As we come to this 22nd Psalm, it presents itself in a remarkable manner. So much so that it seems these comments are very much in order. You and I know that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One of God, the second member of the Godhead, is the central key character in all the Bible. The Old Testament points forward to the fact He was to come. The New Testament not only asserts the fact He did come, but it so clearly points out the fact He's coming again someday. Not to set foot and reign from Jerusalem, as many believe, but to come back and take His children home to heaven. As you and I think about those things, notice those final comments with me. If He's the central character of this which is the marvelous Word of God, maybe the Revelation writer John points us in the right direction when he says in Revelation 1.11, Jesus Himself by observation, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. He is that which provides thoroughness, fulfillment, and meaning not only to your life and mine, but to the entire crux of history. In Revelation 5.12, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and blessing. Those anthems in description of Jesus Himself set the stage for what we're about to read in Psalm 22. I would invite you to notice that Psalm 22, as you listen to what we're about to read, it will sound so remarkably familiar. It, quite frankly, was history written before its time. It is with those thoughts in mind, might I ask you to close that slide and prepare for the next one with me by looking at these two final observations. You and I realize that David was the psalmist who penned for us Psalm 22, and although this was written roughly a thousand years before Jesus was born, a full millennium roughly, what he spoke, what he said, what he asserted are almost remarkably amazing. It is with those thoughts in mind that that final comment. What we're going to read about this morning, although it'll come from the Old Testament, is nothing short of the crucifixion. Portraits of it, pictures of it, vivid and dramatic images of it, despite the fact it was written by a man who lived a thousand years before it happened. 
you and I might pause to note the enormity of the Bible. You and I are reading a book that could foretell future events with such minuteness, with such amazing accuracy. No wonder the infidels throughout the ages have striven to carve out Psalm 22 for reasons we're about to see. Let's set the circumstances first. But as we do so, we quickly will turn our attention to the blessed text of Psalm 22. You and I realize many of these psalms as we read through them in the book of Psalms state and are related in some way to events in David's life. Perhaps as he was fleeing from Saul, perhaps as his son Absalom broke his heart the way he did, perhaps in various other events like his closeness to Saul and ability to take his life but didn't. Many of the psalms have a backdrop in events of David's life. One wonders if Psalm 22 fits into that category. It certainly seems the answer must be no. It seems as if these comments are far more to the point. We are reading events in this chapter that really cast the spotlight on the crucifixion of Jesus. Now David was never crucified. We understand the fact that he was buried. His body is still laying in the very tomb in which it was placed so many centuries ago. But yet as we read about one here, we see a picture and a portrait of one who endured the very things Jesus did in being crucified. It certainly appears that the Holy Spirit led David not to refer to any events he himself was going to experience, but to pinpoint a thousand years ahead of time what was going to happen to Jesus. In many ways, it's an emotional chapter. Let's, in fact, at this point, close that slide and proceed our reading. I'd like for you to notice as I read the first 19 verses of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 19. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, and thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee, and were delivered. They trusted in thee, and were not confounded. But I am a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments upon them, and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste thou to help me. 
I'm sure, as I just read that. Many of those verses you well recognize from quotation in the New Testament. You remember the Lord Himself made reference to a number of them. I would invite you to reflect upon them in the following way with me over the next few moments this Lord's Day morning. Let's take various sections of Psalm 22 and use its correspondence to the New Testament and appreciate therein the nature in which these events minutely, exactly, and definitively describe the events in those final hours of the life of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Let's begin that journey by looking back up to verse number 2. O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. You'll notice to the right I've invited you to reflect with me on those events in the life of Jesus Himself. Wasn't it true on that night prior to His crucifixion that there in Gethsemane, you remember the scene with me well, after instituting what we recognize as the Lord's Supper, He and the disciples sang in Him, and out to the Mount of Olives He went. While there in that mount, you recall with me the amazing characteristic of those prayers that He uttered, beseeching God, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26, beginning in verse number 36. As Peter, James, and John were a short distance from him, he prayed and then went back to visit with them and find that they were sleeping. And that occurred a total of three times. Surely in the night season he cried unto his heavenly Father, praying for assistance and help and encouragement and the strength to endure that which was now all surrounding Him. You'll notice it also says in the night season as well as in the daytime. While Jesus was nailed on that cross, we considered a series of lessons not many months back in which we looked at all seven sermons He preached on that cross. Those seven statements and how magnificent they were. Didn't He in fact make statements that led to His appeal unto God? I would invite you to appreciate that there is the statement of trust in the Lord's deliverance. Notice verses 4 and 5. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. That verse number 5 and that statement of trust. While on the cross, who else could the Lord have turned to? Remember the apostles had fled in the previous night when in fact the shepherd was smitten, the, the very, uh, the very uh, ones that were with him fled. You'll notice along all those things, it does bring us quickly to John 17, 4. Never did the Lord's trust in His heavenly Father wane. In fact, on the very events of that previous evening, He in fact asserted, I have done what Thou gavest me to do. And he then asserted the marvelous stature of his soon desire to be back with his heavenly Father in glory. The glory he once enjoyed in heaven, he had forsaken for a while while he tabernacled in the flesh, and now he was soon to enjoy it again. That trust in his heavenly Father. Doesn't that set before us that no matter what the circumstances of this life may be, the harshness, the trials, the persecutions... There's always one who, remember, said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. When you and I see what the Lord's example on this occasion was, surely we in some way can reflect upon how sweet that promise is. Perhaps consider with me the next one. You did notice in these next verses, verse number 7 and 8, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. 
they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. You and I might imagine that some in David's time said that of David. But let's face it. Look at Matthew for just a moment at the words found in Matthew chapter 27. And think back to those words we just read in Psalm 22. In Matthew 27, I'd like to begin reading in verse 39 and listen to these events as they transpired during the crucifixion events of our Master. Verse 39 says, And they that passed by reviled Him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. David had written a thousand years before that someone in verse 8 was going to say he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. And that's virtually the very things that those people said while the Lord was on the cross. Let him come down and then we'll believe him. He saved others himself he can't save. Amazing, isn't it? Look at the next set of events as you and I consider them. Jesus was considered by those of His own day in the vast majority of cases of approach. He was considered to be a despisement. They looked upon Jesus with shame. Those religious leaders didn't think He knew what they knew. He didn't. He knew a lot more than they knew. They considered Him far less dignified than they. They considered Him far less worthy of the people's attention than they. Look at the features of verse 6 as well as verse 12. Verse 6 said, I am a worm and no man. That's a figurative statement about how Jesus was viewed by many of those in His own time period, those religious leaders who reviled Him with such scorn. Verse 12, Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. For quite some time as the Lord had preached and worked in a public way, those leaders had cast their eyes toward Him, trying to find something to entrap Him and ensnare Him, that they could accuse Him in front of the people. We notice here this statement of bulls, those who were out to get Him, those that were ferocious and recognized as His enemies. That only leads us to what comes next. This interesting statement you'll notice with me in verse 14. I am poured out like water. I am poured out like water. To you and I, that seems a bit unusual. It perhaps even seems strange. You and I think about the days of David being poured out like water. I wonder what that might signify and how might it assist us to think in a new way about what Jesus endured. I would ask you to appreciate it with me like this. That phrase in Hebrew suggests the following. It has an interesting background. There were offerings, of course, that the children of Israel were required to offer. They were called drink offerings. They typically consisted of wine. But you'll notice here, specifically, water is mentioned. You and I realize that Israel wasn't commanded to, be, to offer a water offering. 
again, it was those drink offerings that we've noted in the book of Leviticus. But isn't it interesting that it seems to point out to this drink offering more than once in both Old and New Testament. When a person provides or sacrifices all of himself for the benefit of another, it is described as a kind of offering, a kind of sacrifice. And here David wrote that Jesus, as freely as water, was poured out for the benefit of everybody, you and I included. What a remarkable portrait. You'll notice the very next statement leads us to a few of those New Testament references. Being poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. Verse 14, my heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. That drink offering mentioned so often challenges us to appreciate that next statement. My bones are out of joint. Was David making a statement again that was directly reminiscent of that which would be the case of our Master? Picture with me for a moment those events that characterize a crucifixion as it related to Jesus. His arms were stretched out. Could those husky Roman soldiers have caused his shoulder joints to be out of socket as they nailed his hands to the cross? As they crossed his legs and made nail, drove a nail through them, could his hips have been moved out of joint in the act of the crucifixion? It certainly seems as if in the events of Psalm 22, verses 14 and 15, David said, my bones are out of joint. That would only have increased the pain associated with the crucifixion itself. What our Savior endured. I would invite you to notice that one more statement is found there. My heart is like wax. That too seems extremely unusual. My heart is like wax. Those of the medical profession, and I certainly relied on some assistance from a number of sources in an attempt to understand that better, but there have been many assertions that perhaps that's an indication of the means by which our Savior died. We remember when the Roman soldier came and thrust the spear through his side in John 19, 34, Again, intending upon breaking of all the legs to bring about their death earlier, of course, Jesus was already dead. But we notice that blood and water came out of His section, His chest area of the body when that took place. Those in the medical profession assert that that likely means He died of a heart attack. The weight of the world upon His shoulders, the weight of human sin, the weight of what you and I sent that day. You and I were the sinners. You and I were the ones that ought to have been crucified. You and I are the ones that ought to have been separated from God by that characteristic, and yet He endured it for us. Does the statement, my heart is like wax, indicate with certainty? Perhaps so. May I ask that as you close that slide, we now see these pictures about the death of our Savior. The writer here has much more for us to consider. Verse number 15 says, My strength is dried up. You and I remember that Jesus had voluntarily gone to the scene of the cross. When those Roman soldiers had arrested Him, when those that were the officers of the scribes and Pharisees and others, Jesus submitted to being arrested. He submitted to the trial. He submitted to all those events of the evening. He had himself stated in John chapter 10, I lay my life down and no man taketh it from me unless 
I permit it so. Verses 17 and 18 of John chapter 10. Our Savior voluntarily went to the cross for me and you. As He did so, my strength is dried up. It seems as if that statement directly relates to the very next words in verse number 15. Please notice them together with me. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Many have been the records in both ancient times and even up to the present that when an individual is crucified, it brings an extraordinarily extreme thirst upon the person. We remember Jesus Himself said in John 19, 28, I thirst. He was thirsty on the cross. Is that an embodiment of the events of this particular passage? It certainly would seem so. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. The thirst had overwhelmed him. His body was in need of moisture, in need of drink. You may remember that a Roman soldier, in fact, dipped a sponge in that sour wine known for that day and put it up to his lips. Our Savior in the overwhelming thirst of that moment takes us right back to verse 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. When a person makes clay, you realize at first the clay is moist so that it's pliable in the hands of the potter. But then once the shape is fixed, it is set aside to dry thoroughly and completely and even fired in a kiln. Jesus said, or rather David said, speaking of the Christ, that the dryness that was characteristic of Him was likened to that very thing. It in some ways a very moving thing, compelling, isn't it, to reflect upon what Jesus bore for you and for me. Sometimes we sing a song in certain psalm books, He bore it all. You and I still aren't finished. After following that one with me, look at the statement in verses 14, 15, and 16 taken together. We've already seen that there was an internal dryness attached to his being. The thirst had overwhelmed and overcome him. His bones out of joint, his heart like wax. We also noticed there were those outside wagging their heads to him and mocking him and reviling. The Lord suffered problems and difficulties both inside and out. There was no respite. There was no removal from these things. In the time being, he chose to endure them. Verse 16, dogs have compassed me. That word dog is frequently used in the Word of God as a reflection or at least a kind of description upon a particular context. And in this case, the next part of the verse identifies it as the wicked. Those dogs were these wicked ones who had compassed Him about and who enclosed Him. Things had closed in on our Savior. You may remember that from some previous times he had escaped. Remember in John chapter 8 when they picked up rocks, ready to stone him then, and the text says he passed by and went asunder. He escaped then. There was no escaping this time. Just as he had told his mother Mary, mine hour has now come. The death that he was sent to this earth to endure was now all about him. Dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. You'll notice all of that quickly brings us to the recognition of that piercing mentioned in verse number 16. They pierced my hands and my feet. When you and I think back to the cross, remember, that's exactly what took place. 
Now, again, David wasn't physically crucified in this fashion, but Jesus was. They, who's the they? These very dogs, these wicked ones, they pierced my hands and my feet. How did David know that was going to happen a thousand years ahead of time? Of course, the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. They pierced my hands and my feet. You may recall the conversation that Jesus had with Thomas. Thomas wasn't there at that first appearance, and yet Thomas himself said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and in his side, I'll not believe. We remember eight days later, Jesus appeared again. And to Thomas expressly, he said, Thomas, take your fingers and put them in the nail prints. Thomas, upon doing so, upon being in the presence of that very event, said, My Lord and my God, John 20, verse 25. May I invite you to notice, David had foretold the fact, written history before its time about the events of that crucifixion. May I ask you at that point to slide back and look at that phrase then, the dust of death. Closing verse 15. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. That phrase, dust of death, appears to be a direct statement about the nature of an execution. The one in description of Psalm 22 was not to die naturally. It was not an accident. It was not anything other than an absolute execution. And that's the very thing of which we read in the four gospel accounts. Jesus was put to death. He shed His blood for you and for me. The statement of execution brings us to the bottom statement on that slide. In verse number 17, I may tell all my bones. A somewhat gruesome picture, isn't it? But as you and I reflect and think back to the nature of the crucifixion, what was it that took place? In John 19, 1, early on that morning, Jesus had been mercilessly beaten. Scourging is the word used in John 19, 1. As those Roman soldiers lashed at Him one after another, breaking open the flesh, exposing the tissues and even the bones perhaps beneath, I may tell all my bones. If you and I had been present standing at the foot of the cross, we likely would have been able to see some of the very bones of Jesus. They were exposed. What an event. May we also say that even in the process of nailing Him to the cross, remember His arms were extended and so the rib cage, the very ribs would have at least been in a presence. You would have been able to count them. My bones are exposed. Speaking of Jesus, His crucifixion. You'll notice that those statements bring us even to some additional ones. Following those verses, we also see the following. Verse number 17, they look and stare upon me. Were there individuals who, either near or somewhat more distant, stared and gaped at Jesus while He there hanged on the cross? We remember there were several messages in Matthew through John of that very event taking place. There were women who were standing at a distance watching as all of these things trespassed. It is true that verse number 18 says, They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We're told in John, especially that those Roman soldiers and some that were there present, 
Some of Jesus' garments had a seam, and so they could actually separate it, and they each got a piece. But there was one garment that they chose not to divide. Rather, they cast lots for it because it was seamless. You'll notice here again was history written before its time. They part my garments among them. So some of them, they in fact separated. They were able to share and divide them. On another occasion, it says they cast lots upon my vesture. That's exactly what the Roman soldiers did. May we ask, as you think about that, think about the minuteness of that detail. A thousand years ahead of time, it was predicted that a man would be crucified. It was predicted that in the course of the crucifixion, for some part of his garment, they were going to cast lots. That wasn't an accident. That wasn't just a happenstance. That was the willful presentation of the God of heaven, of history, written exactly as it was to unfold. Look at one other statement with me, if you would. You'll notice we didn't return to verse 1. Maybe it's time to do it now. While on the cross, Jesus Himself said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Jesus quoted from this very psalm while He was there upon the cross. You may remember that with great power and feeling in His heart, He said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And upon its translation, that means, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? as you and I thought about the nature of the sins that He carried that day, your sins and mine, for just a moment it seems, the God of heaven forsook Him. He was left to endure the tragedy, the anguish, the difficulty. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? It seems impossible to think of ignoring the, the crucifixion, to ignore the sacrifice that was made. And yet there are those that sit in an audience and listen to the great love that Jesus extended. And they give attention to that which He underwent for them, but yet they won't respond to the gospel invitation. Let us look on and see what else this psalm contains. You'll notice that I've asked you to think with me about the nature of that statement of congregation and praise. You'll find that in verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. You and I this morning have lifted praises, heartfelt from our being to the God of heaven, thanking Him for what He's done. Psalm 22 verse 22 predicted that very attribute of the church. And in fact, Hebrews 2.12 quotes it verbatim. When you and I sing praise unto God through Christ in the congregation, that's in the church you and I are part of. Psalm 22 predicted all of it. When we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we find the interior, the early, the initial presentation of that thought as early as Psalm 22. Maybe in light of all of that, let us come to the close of our lesson by looking at verses 27 and 28. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship before thee. The clarion call of the gospel has gone around the globe. All men everywhere have been extended the marvelous matter of Psalm 22, what Jesus did for them, and they've been invited to respond, invited to give their life to the very one who died for them. 
I hope all of us have a renewed view to what Jesus endured in the crucifixion. There are some additional details given here that weren't stated in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It only heightens our appreciation and our love for what Jesus has done. Today, what about you, my friend? Are you a member of the body of Christ? Have you recognized a sacrifice for you and done something about it? Have you given your life, relinquished it to His control? If you have, then you know the joy that has been yours, and you know the strength and sustenance that also has come your way. May I say, if you have left your first love, though, why not come back to it today? The same one that died for you is still reigning over the throne of spiritual Israel. He still wants you to be a servant in His kingdom. If, though, you have never rendered initial obedience to the name of the greatest name of all, this chapter has reminded all of us of what He did for you and for me. The plan of salvation that is really built upon much of the events of that crucifixion are these. Believe with all of your heart that He is the Son of God. Repent of those sins, those transgressions that separate you from God. Confess in an audible, verbal way that He is the Son of God. And then be simply and straightforwardly immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. The Bible calls that baptism. If you have not attended to that need, but you've reached an age that you know wrong from right, you know that you're in sin and you know if you pass from this life today that you are lost, don't remain in that situation. Jesus died that you wouldn't have to. If you need to respond, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?